It is a national holiday for everyone across the NBA media day. That is true, especially for the Memphis Grizzlies. But there's a tension on someone who's not even on the roster at the moment. There's an NBA boss supposedly about to be on the move that has spent some time in Memphis as a member of these Grizzlies during the John Morant era. Does Jay Crowder make sense for Memphis in year four of this run with John Morant, Zach Kleiman, Taylor Jenkins, the same way that he did at the very beginning of the time frame? Let's lock in. Thanks for making Locked On Grizzlies your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. My name is Joe Mullinax. I'm the former site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. I've been covering the Memphis Grizzlies for roughly a decade now. And my co-host, Michael Cole, is the beat writer for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. And he is in preparations for Media Day, as mentioned a moment ago. So DeMichael will be rejoining me in subsequent episodes of Locked On Grizzlies. But for this episode, we're locking in on the boss man, at least in our first couple of segments, Jay Crowder. He's an interesting name in Memphis Grizzlies lore for some reason that I struggle with. I've followed the team long enough to understand to an extent why he is appreciated the way he is. Because of the way that he carries himself, the toughness that he presents, he seems like he would get along with Zach Randolph and Tony Allen of core four fame or infamy, depending on how you viewed that group of guys. Obviously in Memphis, it was, you know, beloved viewpoints. So for Memphians, the way that Jay Crowder was in that first year, that first half a year, because he got traded, uh, but that first half a year or so that Jay Crowder was a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, he only played in 45 games while he was in Memphis But that time is looked back on pretty fondly, I would say, by a majority of Memphis Grizzlies fans. Maybe you feel that way. And I have a unique perspective because I lived in Memphis for several years, but I bring a perspective to the Memphis Grizzlies that is not on the ground day to day in Memphis. So I, as time has gone on, do not feel that sense of connection that maybe fans that are there in Memphis do. So when I'm watching a guy play basketball, when I'm watching a member of the Memphis Grizzlies on the floor, obviously I can appreciate the emotion that is generated. Again, I was there for the peak of the core four, Marcus All, Mike Conley, alongside T.A. and Zebo. Part of the reason I still do what I do is my connection to the city of Memphis and the franchise through those four players in particular. So I'm not necessarily judging that type of fandom. What I struggle with, with Jay Crowder in particular, is while he's been a massive part of winning, including the Phoenix Suns, which by all reports, uh, Sham Sharania and others, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, the former of The Athletic and the latter of ESPN, both saying that Crowder is likely on his way out in some way, shape, or form from Phoenix. He's been a part of a heck of a lot of winning lately. Uh, obviously, he was a huge piece of the Miami Heat coming out of that trade with Memphis going into the COVID uh, bubble championship run that the Heat went on before they got knocked off by the Lakers. But how important he has been to Miami, how important he was on the floor to Phoenix in so many different ways, that didn't translate in terms of specifically basketball playing with the Memphis Grizzlies, at least in one specific way. And that is three-point shooting, something that folks are so quick to praise Jay Crowder for. He struggled with mightily 
during his time in Memphis. I, I've used this stat ad nauseum. People give me a hard time for it. But again, the, the numbers don't lie. He was a 29.3% three-point shooter during his time in Memphis, according to basketballreference.com is where I have these stats in front of me. He took 5.9 shots from three per game, almost six shots per game at that negative of a clip. Now, if you follow the Memphis Grizzlies for any amount of time, if Dylan Brooks had that kind of shooting performance, they would have, fans would have, marched in with massive sticks to put Dylan's head up on a pike in terms of the way that they would have reacted, whether it be on a blog, on a podcast comments thread, whether it be in Twitter or in the arena with boo. Grizzlies fans are not shy to voice their displeasure. But with Jay Crowder, it was different. I think that a piece of it had to do with the fact that he obviously was there for the early formative stages of this era. Ja Morant clearly respects and likes him. Ja tweeted uh, something in the wake of the announcement that Crowder was not going to be going to Phoenix training camp as the sides worked out a trade. Uh, Ja tweeted out something like a back soon with two emojis showing, again, his approval of one Jay Crowder and the role that Crowder has played in his career. The same would be said of Jaron Jackson Jr. and other guys that were on that first team in that 2019-2020 season for the 45 games that Crowder was here. He seems to be the prototypical Crowder, that is. The prototypical loved by his teammates, not so much by the front office kind of player. How can I say that? Well, let's count how many teams Jay Crowder has been on in his career. He is 32 years old now, or he will be 32. Uh, he'll turn 32 during this upcoming season. Dallas Mavericks, Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers, Utah Jazz, Memphis Grizzlies, Miami Heat, Phoenix Suns. So he has played in a total of eight or nine NBA seasons. I'll get the exact number here. Uh, Ten years. Ten years in the NBA, and he's played for six or seven teams. That does not scream this person is massively important to winning. Usually when people are massively important to winning, they are signed to long-term contracts. They are not traded. They are not used to match salary. They are not viewed from a front office perspective the way that Jay Crowder is. So as much as John Morant loves, as much as Jaron Jackson Jr. loves, clearly multiple organizations at the in the National Basketball Association do not see Jay Crowder in the same way. There's a disconnect there somewhere. This Grizzlies roster has changed since that first year. John Moran is a bona fide superstar. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a an all-NBA defensive player. Desmond Bain is going to be in the mix for the Most Improved Player Award, All-Star. He's going to be in, in the dark horse candidate for those kinds of things. Could a Jay Crowder, who would be committed to changing the way that he was perceived during that first run, if a hypothetical second one came into being, could he help this team win? The answer is yes. Yes, he could. But we'll talk about in the second segment – in my opinion, that can't happen. You you can't say that Dylan Brooks is what he is as a player like so many folks do. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, say that Jay Crowder can adapt 
Jay Crowder, who has been a chucker for much of his career, sometimes it goes well. Again, in Miami, it went extremely well. I think he was a 44% three-point shooter. He could shoot as much as he wants. But that was not the Jay Crowder Memphis Grizzlies experience. How much does Jay Crowder's psyche, willingness to evolve in terms of his role on a roster, how does that translate to where the Grizzlies are now? That's a massive question that I don't know that people can answer. I'm going to try to in the second segment. I'm not sure that can be answered, and at least not in an effective enough way to give up an asset. And yes, Danny Green's contract is an asset. It allows you flexibility. Jay Crowder being moved for an eighth time, not as much flexibility as Danny Green's expiring deal that is partially guaranteed. One last thing on Crowder before we move on to how he actually could work in Memphis. Tell me again why folks loved him so much in the first place. That idea of establishing a culture. In year one, it needed to be established. It was uh, all, almost essentially a blank slate, a, a picture-perfect, clean canvas. That's not the case anymore. The culture is there. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, these guys have established what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly in the John Morant era. It is already in place. Why risk that for someone who the last time he was in Memphis, not deliberately, whether he did it advertently or not, whether he was asked to or not, whether it was because the team was even younger then or not, he took offensive opportunity away from players that desperately needed it. Is that worth the squeeze? We'll dive more into that in the second segment. But first, I'm not placing bets on Jay Crowder getting traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know about you. I'm not going to do that. This front office has made it clear they're not that kind of front office to just make swings like that unless they see it as advantageous for the long run. But a place where you could make bets if you wanted to would be betonline.net. It's your number one source, not just for basketball betting, but also for football betting information this coming season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, in-depth articles, and analysis on every game that you can find. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all sports wagering information, live betting, up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there, MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, of course, the National Basketball Association. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorites. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online. When the game starts, Jay Crowder makes a lot of sense for this Memphis Grizzlies team. If, if it's a major if, because he's leaving a place in Phoenix where it appears that the Suns want to start somebody by the name of Cam Johnson as their starting four. And if that young man is the guy that they see as their future and they want Jay Crowder to be a key reserve off the bench. And maybe Jay Crowder is not about that life. He doesn't see himself in that role. Why in the world would he change his perspective to become a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, a team that is a tier below the Phoenix Suns? But let's deal in hypotheticals. Let's be positive here. You want Jay Crowder to come back. Your heart longs for the boss man. I get it. I understand. You want him in the picture. How do we get there? He has to be willing to be a reserve. He has to be. And it has to be from the beginning. It can't be a Jay Crowder is the Band-Aid while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. 
assuming Jaron Jackson Jr. is out a long period of time, a recent social media post suggests that Jaron, maybe we get news when DeMichael and I are back together and we have a chance to talk about Jaron being closer to healthy than any of us anticipated. That's possible. It can't be a Band-Aid, 10, 15 games where it's Jay Crowder as that starter, and then he moves to the reserve role and he becomes unhappy. He needs to be the reserve from the beginning. Jay Crowder, as mentioned before, he brings a toughness. He brings a veteran presence. He has the goods in terms of playing high-level basketball in the playoffs. That is valuable. He also is a microwave type of scorer from beyond the arc. I mentioned earlier the 29.3% three-point shooting. That's abysmal while he was in Memphis. But in his 20 games with the Miami Heat, only eight of which he started, by the way, he shot 44.5% from three on more attempts. His first season in Phoenix, 38.9%. That's very respectable on 6.3 attempts. Went down a little bit this year, 34.8%, but that's roughly what Jaron Jackson Jr. That's roughly what John Morant, Dylan Brooks, those types of guys. It's about what they bring to the table. So Jay Crowder, in theory, has the gravity, as so many like to say. Not me. But others like to say that he has the gravity. He makes you pay attention to what he can do from beyond the arc. That's true. All those things are true. Veteran presence, that can shoot the three. He's been through a lot of battles. That holds water. He also is still a stout perimeter defender, especially when playing the four. Maybe he's lost a step or a step and a half when it comes to going up against true wings. But when he's at the four, when he has a chance to play against stretch bigs that don't really play in the post anymore and he can negate some of their length or their size with below average foot speed for a wing but above average foot speed for a big, yeah, Jay Crowder makes sense in that role too. So somebody trading for Jay Crowder is going to get a player that is going to hold value. But again, the fact remains, he is choosing to leave Phoenix. Why? He is choosing to leave Phoenix because it appears, and this is speculation, but again, if they want to start someone else and Crowder is not willing to be a reserve or he feels that he has not been given the opportunity to prove he can still play on the perimeter. But again, he's not going to unseat Devin Booker. Mikael Bridges isn't moving to the bench for Jay Crowder. DeAndre Ayton is obviously still there in Phoenix, Chris Paul. So it's Cam Johnson or it's Jay Crowder. If the choice has been Johnson, then Crowder is not starting and he wants out. It's not like he's going to jump into the mix as a starter in Memphis either. John Morant, Desmond Bain, that's your starting backcourt. Dylan Brooks is your starting three. And if you take out Dylan Brooks to put in Jay Crowder, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Jay Crowder can't create off the dribble the same way that Dylan Brooks can. Maybe Jay Crowder doesn't take ill-advised pull-up mid-range jumpers the way that Dylan Brooks does, but they're comparable defenders, if not Dylan being better. I would take Dylan defensively personally. His length, his size, he still has his foot speed. Crowder is older. Again, you're not going to bench... Steven Adams, he brings so much to the table as a rebounder, as a screener. He does a lot of that dirty work that no one else on the Memphis roster can do, at least on a starting level. So if the choice is Jay Crowder as the guy for 15 to 20 games, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. returns and Crowder goes to the bench and Crowder's unhappy, what are you giving up to bring that into the fold? 
where he would be valuable, where he would make sense, is if he was that Band-Aid. Because don't make make no mistake, I think Brandon Clark's a better reserve. Jake LaRavia is a rookie. For a team that claims to be a championship contender, Jay Crowder, again, theoretically, if we're throwing out the prior sample size of him in Memphis, Jay can be that guy. If Jaron returns and Jay is willing to keep the line moving for the reserves offensively, be that guy who takes the shot when no one else is willing to, be the guy who can defend reserve wings. Maybe he can't pick up and check the best guy on the other team anymore, but Jordan Clarkson of Utah? Um, Tyler Hero, maybe. Maybe that's not the best example. But think of a good reserve guard or forward. Jay Crowder has a high likelihood to be better against them than a starting level, level guard or forward, especially one that can create off the dribble. And he's going to be in a position where he'll be willing to take that shot for the reserves. Now, what does that mean? That means he's taking shots from Zaire Williams, kind of like he did from Jaron Jackson Jr. four years almost now ago. So going back to that robbing Peter to pay Paul mantra, is he going to stunt the growth offensively of players like Zaire, to a lesser extent, John Conchar or Jake LaRavia? Yeah, it's possible. But this is a team who claims to be a contender in the NBA. And lots of people, Tom Ziller and others, still seem to believe in this team as a contender. I have vocalized my opinion that it's hard to be a contender until you act like one, and the front office is yet to do that. So the fact they are contending status in the eyes of many, despite making a move to be a true contender, is pretty damn impressive. They deserve credit for that, and they deserve the heat check that they're taking in terms of their development. Jay Crowder being brought into the fold risks that development. It puts a question mark around it. How would all of that fit with someone who would certainly see himself as a potential missing piece? You don't get to the level that Jay Crowder has gotten to in his career by being someone with a checked ego in terms of saying, I contribute to winning basketball. He's got some Draymond Green in him to an extent. Some Dylan Brooks to an extent. What makes him great is the fact that so many think that he isn't like me. That's what makes Jay Crowder really good. That's what allows for him to be a fit in a lot of places. Areas where they might need a starter. Los Angeles, Brooklyn, Philadelphia. These are contending teams that can make legitimate arguments that Jay Crowder as a starter helps their ceiling depending on how they see their rotation shaking out. Perhaps in those areas, those cities, someone like a Jay Crowder fits and moves the needle a little bit more. Jay Crowder, I give him a hard time. I do. Some of it's a bit, but some of it is just truly my watching him from afar when I would be the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues and seeing that he was not being as productive as fans saw his impact as a leader and as a veteran presence. Players loved him. Clearly, NBA front offices could take him or leave him. Otherwise, he would be settled and not have moved around as much as he has. How he fits with Memphis, I don't see. 
he's going to make somebody better. I don't know that it's the Memphis Grizzlies. And even if they did acquire him, I don't know that he has the impact that so many want him to. Media day is upon us. Very exciting stuff. Make sure that you're following DeMichael on Twitter. Some other great follows. Parker Fleming, uh, my who followed me up over at SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues. I'm sure he'll be there. So many great folks. Chris Harrington, uh, Drew Hill. Lots of great content creators that you should be following on Twitter. Search them. Follow them up if you haven't already done so as media day unfolds. I will be watching from afar once again, uh, not, not there on the ground in Memphis, unfortunately, but I will be keeping an eye on the proceedings for my conversations with DeMichael leading up in future episodes. And I have some preliminary thoughts about things that I'm hoping to hear, hoping to get some sort of blueprint for, because obviously Kleiman's not going to come out and say, here's the master plan, right? The, he's going to show you behind the curtain of Oz, so to speak. Taylor Jenkins isn't going to divulge and, and go into a four-hour tirade about the schemes and the adjustments he's making to the offense and defense with a slightly new-look roster. I don't expect that. But there are some things that I do want to keep an ear to the ground for. First and foremost, back to Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. How he sees his schemes changing in the wake of players like DeAnthony Milton and Kyle Anderson no longer being in the fold. Now, folks like to downgrade the importance of DeAnthony Milton and Kyle Anderson, saying they're the ninth and tenth best players in the rotation. They're gone. You replace them with rookies. You give greater opportunity to Zaire Williams and John Conchar. See what happens. That doesn't hold water in terms of the regular season. DeAnthony Melton played the fifth most minutes on the entire roster in the regular season. You could say that was because Dylan Brooks was hurt. You could argue it for a variety of reasons. The fact remains that number is true. He was fifth. So you can't just write it off and say that DeAnthony Melton's departure doesn't matter. How you respond to the way that he created transition offense, like Kyle Anderson now with the Minnesota Timberwolves, obviously Melton uh, traded to Philadelphia. Those guys were vital to the way that Memphis made up for half-court offensive shortcomings last season. How do you replace that? How do you replicate it, recreate it in the aggregate, or do you prioritize getting better at your half-court offense? Because in theory, if you want to win a championship, that is the next stage in your development. You're not always going to be able to get out and run. You're going to have opportunities to, even in the highest levels of basketball. But when the chips are down and there's 20 seconds on the clock in the end of the third quarter and you're not able to get a transition bucket, what look are you going to go to? Who can you count on to give you those offensive pieces of firepower? That answer isn't quite clear. In this moment, it wasn't clear when they had the Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson. It surely isn't clear now. So how do you get that half court offense humming is something that I hope is asked about. And I'm looking forward to hearing responses about from Taylor Jenkins. If he says anything about it at all, he might just say that they want to continue to do what they do in fairness to the Jenkins or to the Jenkins crew and the Grizzlies front office, everybody they've added to the roster isn't just an offensive player. They also have defensive chops. They can do things defensively. So maybe he says the pieces that have been brought in are expected to continue to play the way that those guys did, just with greater half-court acumen. Because Melton was a chucker who was definitely a microwave type of shooter. And Kyle Anderson, very good at literally every part of basketball 
except for the part of scoring the basketball. Does everything else at a great rate. He just isn't a consistent scoring threat. A Jaron Jackson Jr. update, right? The Instagram post or social media post that I mentioned earlier saying that he's going to be back sooner. What is sooner? Is it Thanksgiving? Is it early November? Is it before Christmas? A more firm timeline would be wonderful to have because maybe it makes a Jay Crowder trade more possible. Maybe it makes it make more sense if Jaron is out beyond Christmas, which it doesn't sound like he will be at this moment. But if he is and Jay Crowder starting 30 games for you, well then, yeah, maybe he does make sense to bring in. He might be better than Brandon Clark, who has shown a greater ability to thrive as a reserve or a rookie like Jake LaRavia. Crowder might be a better option, especially depending on if the price is right from Phoenix. If it's Danny Green and a second round pick, even I would maybe consider that. And I think I spent the last 20 minutes talking about how I don't like Jay Crowder. So I, I do believe that there is potential there, but it comes down to what Jaron's injury is. If Jaron is back by mid-November, the calculus changes. You know, I, I've been a little more willing to sell a bit in terms of Memphis being a top four team in the West. I don't see them falling to the play-in. But fifth or sixth, you know, I think that's possible depending on how long Jaron is out. But if Jaron is back earlier, that changes things. Now Memphis is in that three or four seed conversation again firmly for me. Uh, another thing is I mentioned earlier the idea of this front office and how they view themselves. They have yet to make a contender move. They got younger over the offseason. And they traded Jonas Valanciunas, one of their best individual players. They added a lottery pick that they swore up and down was a project in Zaire Williams, and he was. He's just accelerated his development nicely. And Steven Adams, who everybody thought was going to be a downgrade from Jonas Valanciunas. Now, again, shout out to the front office. He wasn't. He fit exactly what this team needed him to be without the offensive uses of Valanciunas. But the point is they haven't gone out and made the home run swing. The C.J. McCollum for the Pelicans. The Donovan Mitchell for the Cavaliers. There hasn't been that attempt to make that home run move. You say that you want to be a contender. Your actions say otherwise. Do you really believe in the culture and the system that you have developed that much? I think the answer is probably yes. And they have earned, as I've said multiple times, the heat check of John Conjar and Zaire Williams being massively important to your roster. They have earned that opportunity through all the success that they've had. Even when they've made a move that has failed, it hasn't blown up in their face to the point where it hurt them in the long run. See Justice Winslow. It's going to be fascinating to see how these questions are asked by the folks that are there in person for media day, how the front office and the coaching staff and the players respond, how they see themselves entering this fourth year of the John Morant era, the Zach Kleiman era, the Taylor Jenkins era there in Memphis. They were the number two seed, the second best team by record in the entire NBA last season. Regression was always going to be possible. Do they see that? Do they agree that progress isn't linear? Or are they going to come in with the typical, it's us against them, we're trying to get better every day, we want to move beyond what we were last season? How much of the reading between the lines kind of comments come out that maybe blur those lines are, is especially what I'll be looking for coming out of media day. 
tomorrow's show will feature that insight and much more. Myself and DeMichael talking through those storylines, anything new that came out, hopefully an update on Jaron Jackson Jr. Media Day 2022 reactions for the Memphis Grizzlies on the next episode of Lockdown Grizzlies. And thank you for making Lockdown Grizzlies your first listen. Now make sure you go make your second listen, the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast hosted by Josh Lloyd. It is the number one daily fantasy basketball show on the planet. It's fantastic. I've been a guest of his. I love Josh. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're giving that a listen. Thank you for checking out Locked On Grizzlies. Until next time, this is Joe Molinax. Stay locked on and stay locked in to the Memphis Grizzlies.